listen to them. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Kill you all. We don't know what death is. We belong dead. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. On to your butt. Free for your life. Into <laughs> a new world of parts and monsters. Hello everybody and welcome to Pods and Monsters. My name is Robert and with me as always is Inthia. Hello, we're Pods and Monsters. We're a monster movie podcast where we review monster movies, horror movies, anything we really want. Talk about them and go through the brief history. Some trivia, some facts, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Yes, it's all monsters all the time here at Pods and Monsters. And today we are going to be talking about the third Frankenstein film in the series, and that is 1939's Son of Frankenstein. Twenty years ago, in the barony of Frankenstein, a monster created by man stalked through the country, ming and killing. In time, Frankenstein, maker of the monster, died. The monster disappeared. Now, after 20 years, the son of Frankenstein returns. You've seen Son of Frankenstein before. Uh, we saw a triple feature we did. at the Egyptian Theater, the famed Egyptian Theater. I think it may have been when we were first dating. Yeah, uh, we saw a triple feature of the first three Frankensteins. But you don't really remember the movie that well, right? No. Did you have any notes to write down beforehand? I had a few. I said it's a sequel to Frankenstein. Uh-huh. Bella Lugosi's in it. Bela Lugosi, yes. And Frankenstein's monster wears a puffy coat. <laughs> a hairy coat. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's all I, I mean. I really did not remember what this movie was about. Well, we watched it again on Blu-ray, mm-hmm. the wonderful Frankenstein collection that's available on Blu-ray. And why don't we talk about uh, what we thought about the movie? Yeah, well, let's talk about the movie. Oh, yeah. And then we'll talk about what we thought about it. (laughs) And then you'll tell me a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Yeah. Here we go. (laughs) So I believe the last Universal Monster picture that we went over was Dracula's daughter. Correct. And you told me that it was the last time we'd be seeing the wonderful... Universal biplane, mm-hmm. and in its place we got a super fancy pants Universal logo with stars and a mirror ball effect thing, and I think it's a great, fabulous logo. Yes, this is the new Universal Studios, and this is my favorite Universal logo. Actually, it's real. I mean, I do love that biplane, but yeah, this is like Hollywood. Yeah, like Art Deco-y. And, yeah, it's great. And wonderful fanfare music. Mm-hmm. I just know every time that logo plays, I'm in for a good time. I'm like, oh, such glamour. 
credits nothing really to note here background wise um i did see that basil basil (laughs) basil rathbone is in it and he plays wolf von frankenstein baron wolf yeah frankenstein i don't know where the von came from but that was gonna be my question where is this von situation because no one says it at any point no but I think we should look up what Vaughn means at some point in our lives. Um. With with these credits, you also get this incredible score by Frank Skinner. It's one of my favorite monster scores. In fact, they reuse it throughout all the Universal films of the 1940s. Oh, really? So you'll hear cues from this in like the Mummy movies and, mm-hmm. you know, the next Frankenstein movie. But uh, it's a great score that... Really gets stuck in my head, actually. I whistled it for hours afterwards. <laughs> so the opening scene is a gate to a castle. Um, but it's kind of hard to tell what's going on here. Uh, this movie has a lot of, I have a lot of spatial issues with this movie. It's very, very stylized. And I brought this up to you. I can see how Tim Burton may have taken a lot of inspiration for his drawings from this. And kind of like when you see... Vincent? Yes, that his laboratory, uh-huh. the angles of the doors, a lot of stuff, even in Beetlejuice. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, Son of Frankenstein, it got its look from famous German films of the 1920s. It's German expressionism. Mm. So that is a style of filmmaking that is deep in shadows and odd angles. And yeah. Very much how Son of Frankenstein is. In fact, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is probably the the best example of German expressionistic filmmaking. It's very unsettling. Yeah, it is so different. And besides how different Son of Frankenstein, the sets are than Bride of Frankenstein and, and the original Frankenstein, also the quality of the movie is so different because times have changed in 10 years so much they're making new inventions all the time for new camera equipment and all that stuff and it just looks so much more modern in every way yeah so at the frankenstein residence there's a man in the window people are walking by and i believe there's a young person walking by someone says ain't you afraid Um, old igor no yeah and then he um scares him away that's our first glimpse of igor (laughs) played by bela lugosi next we have the town sorry it's a meeting of men like a council and Mm. they're talking about the town it's now called the village of frankenstein and it's been ruined by the frankenstein so no one comes to visit the town Mm -hmm. um they really despise this family because they were in the yeah. town with their monster and their shenanigans. You would have thought they would have changed the name of the town. It's weird because this was not the name of the town always, right? No. Maybe it was the old Baron Frankenstein made a deal. And 10 years after his death, the town was to be called Frankenstein. Because everyone loved that original Baron. Yeah. So the son of Henry Frankenstein yep. is going to arrive. His name is Wolf. Yep. And so these men are talking that he's showing up 
um, to claim his inheritance. Um, Henry is now dead at this point. They'll allow him to come and they'll show him in, but they won't welcome him to the town. <laughs> I like that they make a point to be like, we won't welcome him. Yeah. Um, and that they pretty much want him to leave. Well, later when they do meet him, they say, we are here to meet you, not to greet you. I know. I love that <laughs> so much. We come to meet you, not to greet you. They also talk about Igor and that he lives in the castle. Right. Next, we get a really lovely little train model. And in one of the cars is a woman talking to a child. This woman is Elsa, who we find out is married to Wolf and their son, Peter. Um, the woman thinks that the... No, no, no. Li- She's not married to her son, Peter. They have a son. <laughs> I didn't say... I said she's married to Wolf and their son. Oh. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> so um, she comments that the landscape outside is very strange. It's very barren. Yeah, like Baron Frankenstein. And uh, I love looking out the window, these crooked trees with no Mm -hmm. leaves. It's very scary. I like it. It is. They talk a little bit about Frankenstein Castle, and he notes that it's supposedly haunted. He also talks about Henry and his experiments and the monster and says that Henry was very correct with his experiments and did a good job. It was his assistant that messed it up he talks about how the name frankenstein is now synonymous with this creature and Mm -hmm. he goes so far as to say that he's pretty much exasperated by the fact that people call this creature and as soon as he he's about to drop the name frankenstein in there the train conductor says frankenstein because they've arrived at frankenstein village why nine out of ten people call that misshapen creature of my father's experiments I really like this because me being a monster fan, I call the monster Frankenstein. Everyone calls the monster Frankenstein. And even in the 30s, they called the monster Frankenstein. And finally, we get uh, the authority that it's okay (laughs) to call the monster Frankenstein. So the conductors are um, announcing the arrival at the train station. And when they get there, they're met by the police who tell him that the burgomaster is waiting for them. Um, Like you said, here comes that great line that they are there to meet him, but not to greet him. Yeah. Frankenstein then goes into, I'm sorry, I should call him Wolf. Wolf goes into addressing the crowd of villagers and the council. Everyone's listening to what he's saying, but everyone's very mad that he's there. So he's already greeting a very hostile crowd. And he comes from a kind of naive place and... Well, he also says that he doesn't remember his father. He knows these stories. He doesn't know if he believes them, but he he believes that his father was a great person and he wants to kind of push the idea to these villagers that he was a great person that and he's going to do what he can to to right any wrongs that they might have. And After he says that he thinks that his father is a good man, mm-hmm. he gets a bunch of booze and these people yeah, they disperse. Don't buy it. Yeah. They are over it. He and his wife want to be friends of the town. They want to belong there. And he says that at the end of his speech, even though everyone is gone. My wife and I and our son, we want so much to be your friends. They give him a car to take to the castle. And as they're driving up, there's, I mean, they've arrived in a bad storm and the storm Mm. just gets worse as they're getting closer to the castle. Igor is seen lurking around. Yeah, I love that shot. It's very scary. The car shows up and the headlights shine on Igor mm-hmm. and then he just kind of 
hides behind the, you know, like a the building. Roach. She just scampers away. Yeah, and uh, later we'll see him pop up a few times, and I really like how they're kind of showing Igor in this movie, that he's just there watching everything. Yes. And in fact, there's a behind-the-scenes still of him looking down on the council in the earlier scene, where there's kind of like a sunroof or something, and he's looking down in there. Uh, but they cut that out for whatever reason. Oh, I wish they kept so that in. So in and every scene, he's basically around watching. Yeah, I really do wish they kept that in. Um, I commented that the castle looks a little off. Uh, with every movie, we are never in the same place, but we're told we're in the same place, and it's very upsetting because we're <laughs> clearly not in the same castle. Yeah, but we are. But it, yeah, it's just uh, it's the director's vision to make it look his own way. Yep. Um, they're greeted by Amelia and Benson. They're greeted, but not meted. <laughs> <laughs> They just scream from some <laughs> obscure part of the castle, but they don't see him. Elsa asks if the bedrooms are cheery, and Amelia uneasily answers her. Yes, madam. Quite cheery. I think you'll be surprised. Wolf just wants to belong. He wants to belong to this town. He makes that comment. Benson tells Wolf that no one in the village will work for them in the house, no matter how much money he offers them. Mm-hmm. They go to the library, and in there, there's a portrait of Henry. I love that painting. It's in Colin Clive's likeness, who mm-hmm. played Henry in the first two movies. I don't know where it is now, but apparently around the late 80s, early 90s, it was in the hands of a private collector. Mm-hmm. So it probably still is. I don't know who owns it, but I want it. Um... <laughs> His wife isn't in the painting with him. No. It's just him. Yeah. Which goes to show you. I mean, it's just a little bit more. I think it just is a little bit more. Well, also, if they were to draw the wife, who would it be? May Clark or Valerie Hobson? Oh, that's true. (laughs) But he is, if I remember correctly, I think he's wearing what he wore his uh, wedding night in the original movie. Oh, well, he is wearing a fancy suit. Mm -hmm. Wolf is enamored with his father and his father's intellect. Benson comments that um, he's a lot like his father. And so next, Wolf reads a letter from his father that leaves him his notes and warns him that people will not support him if he ends up doing any of these experiments or just anything, really. Yeah, and I like in his notes, he basically says, you know, if you're like these other people that believe all these bad things I've done and you have no interest, destroy Mm -hmm. this note. If not, and you're like me and you uh, want to uh, discover the mysteries of the universe, (laughs) just uh, keep on reading. Yeah. Next, we get a scene of Igor creeping around in the rain. (laughs) I love this shot, too. (laughs) Peter is, like I said earlier, is the Frankenstein son. He's the grandson of Frankenstein, and he is a little four-year-old boy played by Donnie Dunnigan. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he's great with wonderful curls. He does have a great head of hair. He's being tucked in, and he comments that he likes the storm because I think Amelia goes to close the curtains, and he says, nope, I like it. Elsa walks in and makes a comment that his father taught him not to be scared. 
which I think is very interesting to say. Like, how do you teach someone not to be scared? Well, um, but mean, this kid is very brave. There were probably storms in the past, and he said, oh, don't be afraid of... He probably, probably said, you fool! Don't be afraid of the lightning! <laughs> <laughs> Next, they're greeted by the inspector. Inspector Krogh, played by Lionel Atwill, which I believe is his best performance of his career. Which is funny, because... Uh, This movie has Lionel Atwill's best performance and what I believe to be Bela Lugosi's best performance. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. He arrives. I noted that he has a fake arm. Yeah. And um, his arrival is very unexpected. He comes to offer protection to the Frankensteins because, I mean, they're they're named Frankenstein, so they're already in danger. And he says that if they live in that castle, they're in danger. They don't really want it. As he's talking to them, he reveals that he thinks that the monster might come back. Mm-hmm. He recalls um, how he encountered the monster um, when the monster broke into his childhood home and ripped off his arm, which is why he has a fake arm. One doesn't easily forget here, Baron. An arm torn out by the roots. It's a great story. And he's so dramatic, you know, pounding his wooden arm into the wall. uh, And, you know, he talks about his arm being torn out by the roots. It's a great moment. And, you know, this character was parodied in uh, Young Frankenstein. Remember, Mm -hmm. there's an inspector with a fake arm in that one, too. Mm -hmm. Inspector Kemp, will you talk to us, please? What's funny, though, is lots of the comedic touches of the fake arm were actually in this movie. You know, he does a lot of good stuff with it. He moves that arm <laughs> around a lot, which it's such, is very funny. Yeah, it's such a neat little thing to add to the character. Mm-hmm. I don't know who came up with it, if it was the director or Lionel Atwill himself, but I did read that Lionel Atwill did a lot of improvising with the fake arm. Oh, He reveals that there's been six unsolved murders, all that where the person has been beaten on the head and their hearts have burst. He then says possible ghost killings. It's a little cheeky. Um, And all of the men were men of prominence. Oh my gosh. Are these all the council guys? Yeah, these are the ones that... I just uh, yeah I know I just assumed they died of old age and they just happened to be that there were two left and he's like I'm gonna kill you guys oh (laughs) we'll get into that a little later so you'll know what we're talking about we're piecing things together as we're going over our notes um so the inspector will be waiting if he ever needs help and he leaves because they decline his help but he's like I'll be around Elsa thinks that the storm is dreadful, but Wolf thinks it's great. And a terrific uh, storm. there's more praise from him for his father. He goes on a lot of monologues about how great his father was. Oh, there is a ton of talking to himself in this movie. Oh, there's a lot to the point where I was just like, okay. We're back with Peter, who is now sleeping, and we get like a piece of like an armoire or something. Or is it a wall? I don't know. I don't know. I always thought it was a door, but I, I, I don't feel think it's, like a it's door. an armoire, but yeah. I don't know. It opens. It's a little square that opens and yours faces in there. Yeah, I always love that. <laughs> it's the next day and Wolf has decided that he's going to go around the property. And he I think he makes a point to say he's going to take his gun with him. Uh-huh. Um, well, because little boy Peter. Well, hello. 
was talking about how he was going hunting, you know, in his dreams. Yes. We find that the laboratory is across the ravine and he wants to go check it out. He comes across a lurking Igor. Yeah, in the ruins of the laboratory. Yes. So remember, the laboratory blew up in Bride of Frankenstein. So this is now what's left of it. Um, he notes that he smells sulfur. Sulfur. Yeah, he looks down and there's a big sulfur pit. Now, remember this scene, because I'm going to tell you something, a little blooper about this scene after we do our discussion. Okay. So as he's looking around, Igor is kind of like up high and like with a boulder. Of course he's with yeah. a boulder. I think he brought that boulder with him. <laughs> um, but he tries to kill or crush Wolf with it. Yeah. And Wolf... Tells him to come down and asks him why he tried to kill him. (laughs) I thought you came here to kill me. He thinks he's a villager, but Igor explains that he explains everything about himself. He explains that he has a broken neck from a hanging gone awry. Turns out he was pronounced dead. So he's a dead person that's walking. Um, Yeah, the villagers hung him or hanged him originally because he stole bodies. They said. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says he didn't really steal bodies. I don't know. Well, I think uh, that he probably did. Uh, oh, he 100% stole those bodies. <laughs> yeah. You but can why, see it though? in his face. Who did he steal them for, I wonder? That, I Was think... he working for Dr. Frankenstein? That's um, I'm wondering that as well. I don't know. Um, so technically, he's dead. He's a dead man. Igor is dead. I mean, we'll get into that later, I suppose. Yeah. And one of my favorite moments of the movie, maybe my favorite moment. Oh, I hate this. Is when... Dr. Frankenstein says, or the son of Dr. Frankenstein says, he can't mend a broken neck. And Igor says, it's all right. No one can mend Igor's neck. And then he knocks on his neck. I hated that. It's all right. His neck is broken, so you just see this bone protruding, and you just hear. Yeah. And I remember being, I don't know, seven years old at my grandma's house and we'd be playing Frankenstein and stuff. And I would pretend to be Igor and I would just knock on my neck and knock at the wall at the same time. So you would hear. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I hated it so much. But yeah, um, we do find out that Wolf is a doctor. Igor leads him to a secret passage. It's they go down this passage into a backlit hallway uh, where you find the Frankenstein's tomb. And yeah, uh, it's where his father and his grandfather are buried. Right. Also down here is a little table. Yeah. And on it is our old friend, the monster. Yeah, it's a great reveal. Uh, Wolf doesn't see the monster at first because, you know, he's no. apparently in the dark. Mm-hmm. So he walks a little bit further and then he just has a reaction and the camera pulls back to reveal the giant massive body of the monster. And then Wolf goes to touch him and the monster's hand moves and he yells, He's alive! There is, I said, foreboding music. Um, yeah, the music well. is so good right here. Igor says that they're friends <laughs> and that uh, he does things for him. Unfortunately, though, the monster is sick. The monster was as outside hunting when he was struck by lightning. He was hunting. Which is so ominous because <laughs> he does stuff for him. He was out hunting. Yeah. We all know the monster doesn't hunt. Um, well, he does for Igor. Exactly. Igor wants a wolf to fix the monster. Uh, Wolf agrees to help, but Igor, even though he's like, sure, I mean, I think he wasn't expecting Wolf to agree. Um, 
it, he well, instantly he comes hesitant about it. He doesn't want anyone to take the monster away from him yes. or have the monster be revealed. So he wants Dr. Frankenstein to make him better right there where he is. But Wolf says he wants to bring him up where he has light and room. And Igor says, all right, but if anybody tells. Yeah. And then he says that he'll bring the creation back to life. And I believe we look at the tomb yeah. at this point. And under Frankenstein's name. Someone wrote on it to say maker of monsters. And Wolf takes a torch and he scratches it out and changes monsters to men. Yes. So we find out that the villagers are uneasy at Wolf's latest activity. There's a council meeting being held and they're all talking about what's happening they want to know what they're doing but of course they don't know but they they plan to bring igor in so he can tell the council yeah and before this we also see these carriages are carrying up giant crates to the castle Mm -hmm. which is you know apparently full of uh electrical equipment and you know scientific uh things hubbub this is the point where they refer to themselves as Frankensteinians. We Frankensteinians were as nervous as cats. That's weird. <laughs> we're in the lab and they're getting the monster in place. <laughs> Igor kicks out Benson. I love this. Because <laughs> like, yeah, what Wolf walks through the door and Benson is following him and he like pushes him and he says no and closes the door. Yeah, it's so funny. What's the matter with you? What are you doing? Wolf comments that he needs him so he can write down all of his notes and do all this stuff for him and threatens to not make the monster well if he can't have Benson there. So Igor reluctantly agrees. But he says that he can't tell anyone. He -hmm. says you can trust him. He won't say anything. Frankenstein runs diagnostics tests on the monster. At the end of it, he concludes that he's completely superhuman. He's completely superhuman. He also finds that he has two bullets in his heart. Yeah, I love all these little tests, but this part being really neat where he uh, dims the lights and pulls out uh, an x-ray machine, basically, and looks at his heart. Mm-hmm. There's two bullets in there. The council has now been able to get Igor in there. Igor's greatest scene. And they want to know what he's doing. They threaten to hang him again. And there's... An argument from this threat <laughs> about his mis- mispronouncement of death. <laughs> well, Igor says, you can't hang me. He didn't do anything. The, the, the burgomaster says, well, don't don't worry. You've already been pronounced dead. <laughs> but everyone but else that, is like, I'll hang you. But yeah, but then they're like, well, if, so if he does something bad, we can't hang him again. And the burgomaster's like, well, yeah, we can. And then Igor's like, but I didn't do anything. What are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, you no can hang me again. Can they? No, no, that's been settled. You were hanged and pronounced dead. No. It's very interesting. And we also find out here that two of the eight men that originally said that he was to be hanged are still alive. Mm -hmm. The other six are dead. And he makes a point to say, you two are the only ones that are alive. Yeah. And Igor has a great line where he says about the other six. They die dead. I die alive. (laughs) By the way, do you recognize the two people of the council that hung him that are still alive? The man who he coughs on and spits on on the way out. (laughs) Yeah. Was he not in the first movie? Was he not Maria's dad? That was Maria's father. I thought so. (laughs) Michael Mark, I think his name is. Okay. I don't know the other man, though. The other man was the original Burgomaster. 
going to say, was he the original Burger Master? And look at that. Yeah. Oh, so good. And yeah, so he, on his way out, coughs in that man's face, whose name is, mm, I don't know, New... New Mueller. New Mueller. Mueller. Uh, well, he spits on him. He says, well, oh, you he, spit on me. Well, he coughs. Yeah. He gets up coughing, and yeah. then during his cough, spits on him. Right. Hey! You, you spit on me! I'm sorry, I cough. You see, bone gets stuck in my throat. <coughs> so we're back with our friend Wolf. And he is, I believe, is he talking to himself? I don't remember at this point. But he talks about his dad and the lightning storm and the science that brought the monster back to life. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this monologue, he says that he was brought to life with cosmic rays. Um, and he figured out how to follow the notes to be able to bring the monster back to life. He's with Igor and Benson, turns on the machine, does it again, and the monster comes back to life for just like the tiniest of seconds. It's it's so comforting hearing (laughs) Boris's roar as the monster. He wakes up and goes, Igor's very uneasy during this also, and he tries to stop it. I believe that Wolf is like, leave me alone, you fool, or whatever. You fool! Um, he unintentionally gets himself electrocuted a little bit by holding on to the monster. Yeah. Um, and he's very uneasy and unfreaked out by this. And when the monster does wake up for those few seconds, he looks at Benson. And to me, Benson looked a little bit like Dr. Pretorius. Yeah. And the monster did not like him as soon as he woke up. Um, <laughs> but then he goes back into his coma. The inspector pays the Frankensteins another visit, and here he's talking to Elsa. She wants Wolf to go to town, but he won't. She tells the inspector that he's been experimenting. And so the inspector is trying to get as much information out of her as he can, but there's really not much to be got there because Wolf's been very secretive with what he's doing, Mm -hmm. just like his old pop. Wolf arrives back from... From his walk? From his walk. Um, she sent him out for a walk to clear his mind because he's, she's like, he's been very anxious and just not himself. So he comes back and they end up talking about how the villagers call the lab the monster's home. And also the lab is built over a sulfur pit, which we had found out that it smelled like sulfur earlier. Yeah. And now we know that it was built over a sulfur pit. Because apparently this laboratory area was built by the Romans. Perhaps it was the first health resort. Um, the f- and, and it makes Lionel Atwell laugh. One of the first health resorts, perhaps. <laughs> health resort. <laughs> the fumes have been building up underneath the lab. Um, and it's enough to, and I really love that they keep saying this, is parboil a human. <laughs> and so I believe the inspector, he says that he'd like to see the lab Wolf agrees, and he's like, I'll show you the lab and maybe parboil you, which is a slight little threat. I'll have you come there sometime and parboil you. Peter arrives and calls out immediately the inspector's arm. Wolf tells him that he lost the arm in the war. Yeah, I really like this moment where Wolf is telling Peter about the inspector because, you know, obviously they don't want to scare Peter into the truth. Mm Mm-hmm. He uh, 
says he lost it in the war and he asks then peter asks if he was a general and and we have the whole backstory of lionel atwill talking about how he hoped to be a general but he couldn't because the monster took his arm yeah so now when little peter asks if he was a general instead of just saying no wolf says you know he's something more of a general he's an inspector and kind of you know builds him up and you could tell inspector krogh is very thankful for that yeah and is happy with what Wolf had to say. Mm-hmm. Peter tells him that he went out was he went out hunting and there were elephants and tiger. Um, and then at one point earlier in the day, a giant woke him up. Mm-hmm. And when he says the giant, both Wolf and the inspector are very alarmed. Amelia thinks that it's in his imagination. The Baron uh, whisks him away up to his room and talks to Peter about the giant that he saw. Peter goes on to describe it, and it's 100% the monster. Well, what did he look like? Ooh, he's a great big man with a hairy coat on, and he walked like this. So he walks like the monster. I love, I love when that. he does a little walk. <laughs> so good. Wolf takes off. Like, he's kind of frenzied, and he's stopped by the inspector. He then lies to him and runs off to the lab. The monster and Igor are missing as he's looking around. He searches the lab and the crypt. He's gathering equipment or just moving stuff around. I don't know, whatever. And from behind him is, I put sulfur pit, question mark, and the monster comes walking out of it. Yeah, that ladder that's... Yes, there's a ladder to a sulfur pit. Mm-hmm. And then a cave just a cave um (laughs) the monster puts a hand on his shoulder and startles wolf the monster then examines him and this is a very interesting scene i found he goes to choke him but then stops and um kind of backs up and sees himself in a mirror and gets very angry at his own reflection well he stops and he could sort of read on his face that he recognizes wolf that's what i thought but he's very confused Mm -hmm. because that was a long time ago and Mm -hmm. he shouldn't be around and this does lead to the mirror scene where the monster catches his reflection and it's a really great scene and he's angry and upset at his reflection and he pulls wolf over to sort of compare and it's the monster's best scene in the movie. Wolf is looking at him the entire time, and then he makes Wolf look at both of them mm-hmm. in the mirror. And it's just a, it's just a, I don't know, it's a really good examination of, like, he's comparing himself to Wolf and mm-hmm. knows that he's different. Yeah. Igor arrives to calm him and says that he always does what he tells him to do. He also, like, rubs his chest all creepily. Yeah, he rubs his hairy coat and, and the monster smiles. Um, <laughs> he ominously refers to Benson not telling anyone about this because they talk about how he didn't tell Wolf that it had worked. Once Wolf left the lab, mm-hmm. um, the monster woke up shortly after that. Yeah, And so... He's like, I don't want anyone to know. He's like, no one else can know. And he's like, well, Benson knows, and but Benson won't tell anyone. That's when he ominously refers to Benson. Yeah. Wolf says that he made him walk, but mentally he's not well. Yeah. Igor tells him that he'll never touch him again. He's like, well enough for me. Yeah. He's exactly where he needs him to be. And I was a little like 
did he kill Benson? I think I even asked you if Benson was dead. Right. Well, Benson's not dead. Um, Benson's alive. And Wolf tells him about the creature. He says, It's alive. Alive, you mean? It's alive, alive. Like uh, his father did. Mm-hmm. Benson is very shocked. He's kind of stunned to hear this. And Wolf goes on to tell him that he wants to complete his experiments and he wants to control the monster. But Igor is his only obstacle. He plans to send Peter and Elsa away so that he can continue working on this and try to see if he can control Igor in order to control the monster. Benson wants him to stop completely and tell the inspector everything. I believe was Igor creeping around. Yes, he does creep there. He's creeping. So Igor's creeping around during this entire exchange. Igor sees the councilman that he spit on earlier, Spitkoff, as he's staring out the gates of the castle. Yeah, Igor is back uh, where we first met him, looking looking out of those gates. And New Mueller, the actor who is Maria's father, Mm -hmm. is driving a carriage. Yes. And he looks up and sees Igor, and he takes his chance to spit on Igor. He does. He spits at Igor. And Igor sends the monster to kill him. Yeah, I like that the monster's head pops up and Igor just points at him and makes a hand like, ah, oh, get him. And then the monster just shakes his head in agreement. The monster stages it to look like he was run over yeah. by a carriage. Well, I really like this moment. You see the monster lurking through the woods. And these are those kind of scary looking trees that you see, mm-hmm. saw on the train right over. But I really love it because you just see Neumuller driving his carriage and the camera just kind of pans and then out of nowhere the monster comes hanging from a tree limb and grabs him by the neck and kills him uh after he does strangle him he frames it to look like an accident so he uh moves his body to go under the wheels yep. and he sends the horses on their way so the carriage runs over him yeah meanwhile igor's playing his weird horn his little horn out of the window And he's doing this on purpose because this is his alibi because everyone could hear his horn while these people are being killed. And people do not like his horn. They tell him to shut up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The inspector arrives for dinner and it's noted that he is the first guest that they've had. Wolf is distracted the entire time they're having their dinner. Benson is missing and Wolf makes an excuse that that he had sent him to his lab and he must be off doing things for him. One of the inspector's men arrives to call him away. There has been an unexpected death in the village, which is, what's his name? Neumuller? Neumuller? I don't like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The inspector and Wolf are alarmed to hear that there's an unexpected death. Um, At this point, they don't know who it is, but we do. We're back in the lab and Igor is with a sleeping monster. Benson was there earlier to see the monster. Well, this is Igor's story. Yes. Igor says he ran away with fright. Monster walk. Benson, run, run, run. (laughs) Wolf, though, doesn't believe him. He also asks about the ladder into the sulfur pit, and Igor says that it leads to a cave. And then he's like, well, anything else? And he's like, nope, just a cave. Now we're back with the inspector and townsfolk, and they're around the dead councilman. Everyone thinks that he was crushed to death by his carriage, 
but the inspector thinks it was something else. He asked the the doctor with him to um, find out if his neck was broken and if his heart is burst. Yeah. Because um, he doesn't think that he was crushed to death. We're back with the Baron, and, or with Wolf, and he is going to bed with a pistol. He is freaked out as he's going to bed. Elsa keeps asking about Benson and says that she's worried about Wolf. She also really hates being there. Wolf says that he plans to send her and Peter away in the morning. And he'll meet up with her later. Elsa then comments that she wants Peter close. And so she grabs Peter and puts him in bed with her. Um, She can't sleep. So she's just wide awake. And the Baron is awoken by Igor playing music from his horn. The monster is stalking around and he is in the village now and goes to the apothecary where he kills um, Councilman Lang. Yeah, and I love this shot. It's all done in shadow. Mm -hmm. You see Lang sitting there smoking his pipe. Mm -hmm. And then he stands up when the monster approaches him from behind. And the monster does this really funny punch where he like winds up and goes way over and like bops him on the head like a stooge (laughs) and uh, kills uh, Lang. The villagers at this point are, are assembled and are alarmed. The inspector goes to the castle to ask about Benson again. And stops the Baron from leaving. It's the next day, by the way. He tells him about the burst heart. The mob at this point has shown up to the gates where um, Igor's playing his horn. And I believe at this point is where they tell him to stop playing his horn. Um, The inspector tells Wolf that he cannot leave. We get this cutscene of this woman screaming, running out of a room. And it's um, at the apothecary. And she has discovered Ling's body. Yeah, I mean, we assume that perhaps that is Lang's wife, and she found his dead body. Inspector is talking to Peter about the giant and where he comes from. Peter was visited again by the giant, and he gave him a watch. I believe the first time, Peter had mentioned that he gave the monster, or the giant, a book. Yeah, a fairy tale book. Yes, and um, this time the giant gave him a watch. The inspector asks to see the watch, and it turns out that this watch belongs to Benson. So now we know that things are not too good. We find out also that the monster came in through the wall inside of the house. According to Peter. Yes. So we're back with Wolf, and he's upset that the inspector is suspicious. And Elsa tries to talk some sense into him, but... He's very defensive and tells her he's been working on his experiments, but she comments that he, she thinks that he's afraid of whatever it is he's doing. Well, he's he's acting very defensive and, you know, kind of crazy because yeah. he's upset that he's being accused, but he should be accused because... He's uh, doing everything the ins- they accused him of. Yeah, the inspector is right, mm-hmm. but Wolf doesn't want him to know that he's right exactly. but the more he fights it the more suspicious he looks mm-hmm. the inspector's men show up to take the inspector away telling him there's some more bodies and the inspector leaves a policeman behind as guard this is when wolf takes the opportunity to go back down to the lab he goes down the ladder you know the sulfur ladder <laughs> the ladder that's at the sulfur pit yep and walking in there, he encounters uh, a sleeping monster. He picks up a big old rock because he's going to kill him. But he's stopped by Igor. Don't touch him, Frankenstein! 
he talks about, Igor talks about killing the remaining councilman. And the monster at this point has woken up and goes to kill Wolf, but is stopped by Igor, which is very interesting because it's just Igor letting him know that he can control the monster. Yeah. Back at the castle, the inspector arrives and Wolf is in the library. He tells him that he's there on official business. That's why he won't take off his hat. Yes. And tells him about um, Lang's death. Wolf denies is still denying everything to the inspector and um, he denies that the monster exists. The inspector is there to arrest him for the death of Benson on a technicality because he has the watch, but because he has the watch and how he got the watch, he knows that Benson is dead. He tells him that he searched the lab the other night and um, he's also arresting him for his own protection. Yeah. And I like how, again, Baron Frankenstein is being accused of all this and he's asking if it's supposed to be the monster of his time or is he supposed to have whipped one up is it the old legendary monster of my father's time or am i supposed to have whipped one up as a housewife whips up an omelet wolf tells him that he should arrest igor and the inspector laughs everyone wants to hang igor um, but igor has an alibi Wolf wants to find Igor and kick him out of the castle. Um, And he says his intentions to the inspector and the inspector agrees because now he can take a moment and really look around Peter's room and search the castle a little bit more. So he goes to look for that trap door that was mentioned earlier. Wolf goes to the lab and he has his gun with him and he's looking for Igor. Igor's there with a little hammer and goes to attack him throws his hammer at him and wolf shoots igor who dies right in the gut yep and wolf leaves the inspector finds the trap door that he was looking for and in it we see a dead benson the monster finds igor dead and screams in anger yeah he's very upset he's like doesn't know what to do looking all around he grabs Igor's hand and then he looks at it at his hand and he sees the blood of Igor and he screams at the top of his lungs and this was a great scream that was reused at the end of the movie too and it was reused in several universal movies namely House of Frankenstein when one of the characters dies in that it's the same scream And if you listen very carefully, you could also hear it in the opening of Pods and Monsters. (laughs) (laughs) The inspector and Elsa meet. She's worried. And um, the inspector tells her that he's going to get them out in the morning. Wolf shows up and tells him that he killed Igor. Uh, The inspector tells him that he found Benson and knows that the monster killed him. Wolf then is pretty very much losing it. He is in this, he doesn't really know what to do. So he's like, I, he wants to drink or play darts. And so I, this kind of leads to a great scene between them, but it's just, there's a lot going on and this is his way to process it. They play darts. Yeah. And you get this great moment where 
Inspector Krogh lifts his arm up <laughs> and he only has one good arm, so he can't hold the darts. So instead he stabs his wooden arm with the darts he's going to use. And then he uses his real arm, his left arm, to throw them. Obviously he's not left-handed because he's awful at throwing yeah, darts. Yeah, he's really <laughs> awful. But it's so funny because yeah. well, when th- he throws it, they both just stare and then... <laughs> well, in Young Frankenstein, doesn't he throw the darts and it like hits everyone else and stabs people? <laughs> <laughs> The monster is in the lab and he is trashing the lab in anger. He throws everything into the sulfur pit um, and he finds Peter's fairy tale book as he's throwing everything in there. He's about to throw that too. Then he does a double take and stops and looks at it. And then he remembers and he smiles. He takes the ladder into the sulfur pit and goes into the castle. And here we find out that Igor lied. That sulfur pit really does go somewhere he goes in to take peter amelia faints upon seeing him while the gentlemen are playing the really bad darts and elsa goes into the room and sees that peter is missing wolf runs into the lab as the inspector takes the passageway well they are alarmed because when elsa goes and sees that Peter is no longer there. Amelia wakes up and both Elsa and Amelia start screaming, saying he's gone, you know, he yeah. took him. And, you know, they don't know what's got, what's going on. So everyone converges in the dining room or whatever. And then, and then it's like, at this moment, there's no more game playing anymore with Wolf and Inspector Krogh. So immediately, because everyone cares about Peter, they want him to be safe. Immediately, Wolf says... I'm going to go to the laboratory and he runs to the laboratory and Inspector Krogh immediately goes to Peter's bedroom where he knows that secret passageway is. Yes. The monster is now in the lab with Peter and he is about to throw Peter into the pit, but then decides not to. Do you think he was going to throw him in or he's just showing him the pit? I think he was going to throw him in. The inspector shows up and fights the monster. The monster barricaded the door. So, Elsa and Wolf can't get in um, and they're trying. As he's fighting the inspector, he rips his arm off. His fake arm. His fake arm. Much like he did when the inspector was a little boy. So the inspector is shooting at him. The Baron is finally able to scale up the the lab, which I don't think we mentioned before. It just has like a canvas cover on top. Yeah. They didn't reconstruct anything for it. Yeah. And he swings in from the top ruins of the lab and kicks the monster into the pit. The monster is standing, attacking the inspector, but also has Peter pinned down to the floor. Yeah, he's stepping on Peter. Yeah. So he's kicked into the pit and you get that great scream again. Mm-hmm. And then a big explosion of, uh, of the monster hitting the sulfur. Yep. So now everyone's back together. They're all good. Now Wolf and his family are leaving the town. They're at the train station. Everyone's very happy that A, they're leaving. Very happy that the monster (laughs) is officially dead for now. And he gives them back the castle and the land and tells them... That they can do what they like with it. Yep. Herewith I deed to you the castle and the estates of Frankenstein. Do with them what you will. And may happiness and peace of mind be restored to you all. And gets on that train and leaves, and everyone is so happy. They're cheering, saying goodbye. <laughs> and everyone's so happy. 
And that's it. And the end. The end. Goodbye, gentlemen. Goodbye, Goodbye, Peter. So the whole thing of Wolf von Frankenstein bringing the monster back to to life and stuff, he doesn't pay for those crimes. No, he doesn't. Everything's forgiven. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because he killed him. He also killed him. Yeah, he did also kill him. I think it doesn't matter if the... Well, I think that Igor would have tried to kill those men anyway. Yeah. And technically, he didn't bring the monster back to life earlier. He just brought the man, the monster back to life again later. <laughs> yeah. So that's Son of Frankenstein. That is Son of Frankenstein. How did you feel about the movie? I liked it. I did think it was very talky, though. There's a lot. If you're taking notes, it's very hard. Like, we had to pause several times for this movie. Yeah, it's very, very talky. It, you know, I told you it does have my favorite Bela Lugosi performance and favorite Lionel Atwell performance, but it is my least favorite Boris Karloff performance as the monster because he doesn't have much to do in this. Mm-hmm. It's not one of my favorite Frankenstein movies because it's not as fun because it is so talky. It's very talky. But I still love it for the little moments it does have. Mm-hmm. I do think it's very good. Will I watch it again? I don't know. You don't know. Well, I'd always watch it again, but... I know, but would I choose this one over <laughs> yeah. something else? Yeah. But it is good. So this movie, there's kind of a big kind of history on this movie. You want to hear a little about it? Tell it to me. All right. But keep it short. All right, I'll try. <laughs> Son of Frankenstein, 1939 Universal Pictures. In our Dracula's Daughter episode, I told you that the Lemleys lost the studio in 1936, and Dracula's Daughter was their last Uh monster movie. So the way that they lost the studio was the Lemleys took a loan for $750,000 from J. Cheever Cowden's, or Codens, Standard Capital Corporation, and producer Charles R. Rogers. And the deal said that They could take a loan for Mm $750,000, but the people they are getting the loan from, they have 90 days to come up with $5.5 million to actually buy the studio. This seems like a very bad deal. It kind of does. Lemley thought that there's no way they could come up with that kind of money in that amount of time. Uh Uh-huh. They did. (laughs) Oh, that sucks. (laughs) Yeah. So on April 3rd, 1936, you have the new Universal Studios no longer owned by Carl Lemley. They knew that they could get that money. Like, they had to have had almost all of that money. Probably. It's sad. Ugh. It really is. It really sucks. So th- there's a couple of reasons. Because remember I told you with Dracula's Daughter, that was the last Universal monster movie until this one. So that was a three-year period of no monster movies Mm -hmm. there are several reasons as to why there weren't any universal monster movies during that time one being this the new ownership Um, another reason is universal made a lot of their money in the european market especially england and england had a new h certificate which is basically their rating systems Mm. and that was for you know horror films or horrific pictures Mm -hmm. and that limited audiences that would be allowed to see these movies So people that would make horror movies were afraid that this would eat into the money that they'd be making. Mm -hmm. Also during this time, these three years, uh, there's no horror movies being made, really. Bela Lugosi is very much struggling. 
because he, you know, he came up as Dracula and was very successful at Dracula. And then, you know, he had a steady career up until 1935, 1936, making all these horror movies, but he was typecast. So he had a hard time in those three years getting another role because of being typecast in horror pictures. Mm -hmm. During this time, Bela Lugosi Jr. is born. And the Motion Picture Relief Fund embarrassed Bela because they put out an article saying that they paid for Bela's birth because he was struggling so much, couldn't afford the hospital bills. So he was very humiliated. Oh, no. And then something happened in 1938. The Los Angeles Regina Theater did a triple bill of Frankenstein, Dracula, and Son of Kong. Uh huh. Son of Kong. Yeah, that's okay. the sequel to King Kong. Okay. They brought these movies back out, and lines were around the block. People were going crazy to see these movies. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe people missed them the first time they were out, or people just want to be frightened at this time. So Universal found out how great this theater was doing with these three movies, and they decided to re-release Frankenstein and Dracula. Mm-hmm. And they did great business on these re-releases of older movies. They made a ton of money on it. So they made so much money on it that they decided to bring monster movies back, starting with a new Frankenstein movie. Mm -hmm. So that's where we are with Son of Frankenstein. It's 1938. Mm -hmm. You have your re-releases going. Now they're going to get back into making monster pictures because they see there's money in it. Mm -hmm. There was an original script written by Willis Cooper, who still gets the writing credit in the movie. I always like his name because it's very King Kong-ish. Because Marion C. Cooper created King Kong, and he was animated by Willis O'Brien, so Willis Ah. Cooper. In the original script, there were some very interesting things. The the original script is not the movie we get now. Oh, really? There's a lot of differences. What changed? The biggest thing is there's no Igor in the script. No! Okay. But they did want Bela for a part in the initial script uh, to play basically the Lionel Atwell part of the inspector, but he would be an inspector... Nubular, kind of <laughs> like the, the other guy. Similar name. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there's no Igor. Another thing that I found very interesting is in the original script, when Wolf von Frankenstein uh, goes to the ruins for the first times, he finds the remains of the bride, Pretorius, uh-huh. and all the little people in the jars. Yeah. That would have been neat. Uh-huh. So for the director... They didn't go with James Whale because James Whale was kind of on the outskirts of his career. Oh, was he? So they hired Roland V. Lee to be the director. He also made Tower of London, which is another universal horror movie with Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started out with a low budget, but it ballooned up, obviously, because it, it's a pretty it's a pretty big budget it ended up with. One thing that Roland V. Lee really wanted to do was push that German expressionism look that Mm -hmm. you see in the movie. So he had John Otterston, who made the sets, uh, create these massive psychological sets. Another thing he also wanted was a huge new musical score. He didn't want to use like stock music. So they brought in Frank Skinner and had Hans J. Salter arrange the music. And both of them created this wonderful score that's one of my favorites. Mm Mm-hmm. It's really good. Also early in production, there was talk about this movie being in color. So apparently they did some Technicolor tests for this movie. No one has seen those tests, but I read somewhere that sometime in the 80s, someone found a couple of reels of the Technicolor test and put it on someone's desk 
and then when he came back, they were gone. Either someone put it back or someone stole them. <gasps> so maybe mm-hmm. one day those Technicolor tests will come up and we can finally see the monster in color. Now, we already kind of can because there are color home movies of the monster uh, sticking his tongue out and goofing around with Jack Pierce, the makeup guy. Mm-hmm. So originally, Universal wanted Peter Lorre to play the part of Wolf von Frankenstein. Peter Laurie. Peter Laurie. <laughs> Remember Peter Laurie? Yes, I do. Uh, but Roland V. Lee wanted Basil Rathbone, and Basil Rathbone is who they hired. Basil Rathbone. In his heart, warm human emotions. In his mind, the monster mania. Basil Rathbone, he was most famous for playing Sherlock Holmes in Universal's Sherlock Holmes series. He was also in uh, Robin Hood as the villain, I think. Uh, he's in a bunch of stuff. Us Disney fans know him as the narrator of uh, Mr. Toad. J. Thaddeus Toad, Esquire. Have you never met him? Mm. Mm-hmm. In this movie, Karloff now gets second billing since Basil Rathbone gets top billing. Oh, wow. Karloff, rising from the past to spread new terror. Karloff gets second billing, and, you know, he wasn't as into playing the monster anymore. He could see that the monster wasn't the same sympathetic character that he once was. And this is what he had to say on the matter. He was going downhill. We had exhausted his possibilities. He was becoming a clown. So you can see just from that little statement already, the monster in his eyes was going downhill. And I agree with him. He sort of in this movie becomes... Well, the first half of it, he's basically a prop just lying on a table. Mm -hmm. And then he's a killing machine for Igor, basically. There's a couple hints of his humanity and sympathetic moments. But ultimately, it was going downhill. And this would be the last time Karloff would play the monster in a Universal movie. I will say, Karloff donned the classic Universal makeup three other times. Mm -hmm. In 1940, there was a charity baseball event where celebrities played baseball and Karloff played dressed as the monster and like the three stooges were there getting scared of him and Buster Keaton fainted at the plate when the monster tried to score at home you know (laughs) and then there was a a movie called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty which was remade a few years ago Uh uh-huh and Boris Karloff is in that and there was supposed to be a dream sequence where uh the character would meet the Frankenstein monster There are behind-the-scenes photos of Jack Pierce with Boris Karloff as the monster. And this is in the mid-40s now, so this is Karloff pretty old now. You know, this is probably about five years after Son of Frankenstein, and he's wearing the classic Frankenstein makeup. It's very neat. But they cut that out of the movie, and it must have been filmed because he wore the makeup, Mm -hmm. but no one has seen this footage. Hmm. And then the last time he wore the Frankenstein makeup was for an episode of... Route 66. It was a 60s television show, and there was an episode with Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney Jr., and Peter Lorre. Lon? Oh, hiya, Boris. Peter. Well, hello, They play themselves, so he dresses up as the Frankenstein monster in that. Oh. (laughs) So one of the things in the original script was the monster talks through the whole thing, because he has speech from Bride of Frankenstein. Uh Uh-huh. Karloff talked Roland V. Lee, the director, into removing his speech because Karloff never liked the idea of speaking anyway. Uh-huh. So it's not explained why he doesn't talk anymore, but he doesn't. 
And that's I like him that way. Yeah, I think uh, it probably was better that way. Mm-hmm. He had very limited speech in Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, um, which I appreciated it then, but I like that he doesn't speak in this movie. Yeah, me too. Karloff didn't like the new costume. He called it furs and muck. <laughs> and same. I didn't get numbers on how much it weighed, but I think it was the heaviest of all the costumes. Oh, really? I assure you, my friends, that makeup was heavy in The Son of Frankenstein. Yeah, well, he looks a lot bulkier in this one than he does in the first two. In fact, there are several scenes where like his head looks kind of small compared to his body. I assume he's wearing his undershirt, his coat, his new fur little vest smock <laughs> thing. Well, I mean, not in real life. I mean, you could assume the character is, but yeah. in... Uh, there are some behind-the-scenes photos of him without his furry coat on because he never liked wearing it, and it's basically a black shirt with suspenders. They never say how he got his hairy coat, but we can assume that <laughs> Igor put it together for him to take care of his friend. Because mm-hmm, it's cold. Yeah. And th- there is a big push in this movie to make the Frankenstein monster kind of a mythological fairy tale creature Mm -hmm. by calling him a giant and having the whole fairy tale book aspect that i think his wardrobe kind of mirrors that in this one more so okay i can see that so i think that was the reasoning behind it Hmm. so i told you igor wasn't in the original script he was put into the movie right before filming started by director roland v lee why well they wanted him for the movie to play this inspector, but Roland V. Lee had some other ideas that he thought of this Igor character. Uh, Universal wanted to keep Bela there for a week for his for his part. And Universal knew he was not getting parts and he needed the money. So they were going to lowball him with a very, very cheap price. Mm-hmm. Karloff was getting $3,750 a week. Basil Rathbone was getting $5,000 a week. They were offering Bela $500 a week. And they were just going to have him work for one week. So nothing, basically. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what Bela's wife at the time had to say about this. So she said that Universal cut Bela's salary from $1,000 per week to 500 Then they planned to shoot all of his scenes for the picture in one week. When the director, Roland V. Lee, heard about this, he said, and I quote, these goddamn sons of bitches. I'll show them. I'm going to keep Bela on in this picture from the first day of shooting right up to the last. So Roland V. Lee fought for Lugosi and because he was getting $500 a week, he said, well, then I'm going to keep you on every week for the movie mm-hmm. and get you a decent paycheck. And he wrote this part of Igor for him to be a lot more prominent. So Lugosi was very happy to have this part he apparently really loved playing this part and it really it shows his range mm-hmm. as compared to Dracula and his other characters it's you know I told you before it's my favorite part that he's played Lugosi sinister mysterious evil I'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute but there wasn't a final script for this movie when they were making it they finished it while they were while they were making while it. While they were making it. So the actors would get sides, basically, you know, little little scripts of scenes that they would have to memorize like right before uh-huh. and, and do it. And the director, Roland V. Lee, felt that this would make performances better and more natural. While most of the actors didn't feel this way, they would like to memorize their parts and rehearse it and all that. Well, Roland V. Lee said about Lugosi playing Igor, We gave him his sides as Igor and let him work on the characterization. 
The interpretation he gave us was unique, imaginative, and totally unexpected. He played Igor as a rogue, but one that evoked sympathy. There was warmth in his voice and a twinkle in his eye that made him almost lovable. His eyes were like prisms that caught and reflected the light in a most unusual way. I don't know if I ever felt sympathy for Igor or thought he was lovable. Oh, I, I think lovable. he's lovable. You think he's lovable? Yeah. The Igor makeup took about four hours to do. Again, this is by Jack Pierce, the great makeup man who created Frankenstein and the Wolfman and the Mummy. Uh-huh. I guess because Lugosi had his troubles of not having parts and was upset with where his career was going, he was much more pleasant to work with and be around. He didn't have the best relationship with Jack Pierce in the past, especially on Dracula, because uh, he wanted to do his own makeup and he, he didn't want his face covered or anything like that. But he was very pleasant during this experience, apparently. But he had the broken neck, which was a piece of rubber on his neck mm-hmm. that showed like the bone extending. And it was secured by a strap that would go under his right arm. Oh. Uh, and then he had yak hair on his face for the beard mm-hmm. that was cut and singed. Mm-hmm. And then he had snaggle teeth, which uh, he actually sort of has fangs in the movie which is interesting because this is the only movie where he has fangs even though he's played a vampire so many times <laughs> uh, Lionel Atwill he plays Inspector Krogh Lionel Atwill grim hatred in his blood mm-hmm. I told you this is my favorite performance of his what else has he been in? Um, he's probably most famous for this but he was a really big uh, horror actor in the early 30s his biggest one probably being mystery in the wax museum which they remade into house of wax um but he was in a bunch of horror movies in fact he will be in the next four frankenstein sequels each one a different character oh wow (laughs) um two of them will be inspectors again not Hmm. the same inspector but (laughs) he had a very interesting life he he was, you know, a big star in the 30s. And then by the 40s, he was kind of waning a little bit. And then around 1943, I think, he got into some big trouble because he used to have, like, big orgy parties. Oh, and it, <laughs> And it got out in the press. <gasps> and uh, people wouldn't really put him in movies very often, except mm-hmm. Universal and very bit parts. Wow. We have Josephine Hutchinson playing Elsa von Frankenstein. I don't know too much about her. Mm-hmm. We have Donnie Dunnigan playing Peter. He was four years old. Did he go on to anything else? Well, his biggest claim to fame was three years later where he became the voice of Bambi. Oh. Pretty, pretty flower. And he's still around. It goes to the monster convention sometimes. Very nice. So the movie began shooting on November 9th, 1938. Mm-hmm. There was that original script made by Willis Cooper... And right before they started to shoot, they threw out the script and they were writing as they were shooting. Mm -hmm. They went way over the initial budget, as I told you they would. When they were making this movie, Universal got a lot of requests from people, other celebrities to visit the set because everyone wanted to see Frankenstein and (laughs) Igor and all that, especially lots of the young females. Mm -hmm. They were the big hits of the town. So not only were the celebrities wanting to visit the set of Sutton Frankenstein, but journalists were too. And Real News from Hollywood filed this report about visiting the set of Son of Frankenstein. They said, Karloff in his fantastic makeup balanced a cup and saucer on his knee, looking like a demon from the pit 
and conversed smilingly with the cast in a voice that sounds like it is emerging from a correct English drawing room. <laughs> Lugosi wasn't a bit less hideous. Little four-year-old Donnie Dunnigan, who plays the son of Basil Rathbone, wasn't afraid of any of them, although he didn't like the whiskers on Lugosi's face. He shied away from them the first two days on the set, but soon he became accustomed to them, and before the picture was over, he was sitting on their laps and regarding them as his pals. That was a report live from the set of Son of Frankenstein. (laughs) (laughs) During filming on November 23rd, 1938, Boris Karloff turned 51 years old and they had a birthday party. If you look at our Instagram, I posted some pictures on the 23rd on Boris's birthday of them celebrating his birthday on the set. Yeah, I saw them. They're so good. An interesting thing, though, earlier that day, his daughter was born, Sarah Karloff. Oh. So he was at the hospital welcoming his daughter into the world and later came to the set and had some cake. (laughs) (laughs) One of the presents that he got on the set for his birthday was a little pair of Frankenstein boots for Sarah. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. I wish someone had a picture of those. Yeah, I'd like to see I was that. about to ask. Um, a few days later, Bela Lugosi brought his 10-month-old Bela Jr. to the set, and he presented Boris with a present for the new baby. Bela Jr., he did cry when he had to pose the pictures with Boris as the monster. (laughs) So with two weeks left on the initial schedule of this movie being filmed, there still wasn't a script ready. And no one knew how much longer the movie would take because the script's being written as you're going. (laughs) And also what made things worse was that the shooting dates were slowed down because the director caught a cold. There were supposed to be some exterior shots that were canceled because of rain. And also things couldn't be done as fast because, as I told you, when, when the actors get their sides, they have to learn their lines right there and now. So mm-hmm. take after take because they didn't memorize their lines because they didn't get a chance to. The shooting finally finished on January 5th, 1939. Remember that date, January 5th, 1939, because they had to have a preview of the movie very fast. The preview of that movie was January 7th, 1939. That's two days. Yeah. So while it's wrapping up, Frank Skinner and Hans J. Salter, the composers of the movie, they get the movie and they have to score this movie with this entire grand score. And they stayed up for nearly 50 hours straight making the music for this movie in two days. Mm Mm-hmm. Or a little bit more than two days. And the whole movie had to be edited within that time, too. The budget went up to $420,000, which was a lot more than it was originally supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone was cut out of this movie. Who? Guess. Who's always cut out of movies? Uh, oh, uh, Dwight Fry? Dwight Fry. Dwight Fry. Poor Dwight. He was a villager and his scene was cut. Uh, they had the premiere of the movie January 13th, 1939 at the Pantages Theater. This is bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> How fast everything is? Yeah, I know, it's crazy. And here's what the Hollywood Reporter had to say about the movie that they watched. Universal hereby offers a brand new picture for 1939 release that will chill and thrill audiences and speak through that universal language 
Fear. It's a knockout of its type for production, acting, and effects. Roland V. Lee's direction creates and keeps a chilling, somber mood, and the grim humor that's in it, he's handled very well indeed. Basil Rathbone gives still another excellent performance as Von Frankenstein. Lionel Atwell is something very special in the way of inspectors, and makes that part rich. Bela Lugosi is quite horrible, and very <laughs> impressive as the living dead man Igor, and of course Boris Karloff as the monster, is mechanically quite perfect, and not exactly a household pet. <laughs> Straight from the Hollywood reporter's mouth. <laughs> so the movie did great. It brought back universal horror movies mm-hmm. of the 1940s and you know they, were, they made a ton of them. So without Son of Frankenstein being successful you might have not had The Wolfman or any mm. of the other sequels to the classic movies we know. This also made Boris and Bela busy again because horror movies were back, so they were in a lot of other things again. Mm-hmm. With making the movie without a script, obviously there were things that were cut. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I know for sure is there are still pictures of the monster coming up on Benson, who's holding a tray of food. And then there's another picture showing Benson lying dead at the foot of some stairs and the monster eating like a chicken dinner, I think, off of that tray. Uh So that was a scene that was at least shot that wasn't in it. I'm sure there were other things too. An An interesting thing that I found out which I didn't realize, was the the version that we watch on Blu-ray is different than the one that's on DVD. Why? How? And I don't know why, but it, I think it's like six minutes longer or something. Someone made a YouTube video showing differences. For instance, the uh, scene of Igor rubbing his, uh, the monster's chest, uh-huh. It's he's not really rubbing, he's patting it huh. on the DVD version. Okay. So I don't know why there are these differences, but, differences, but for some reason there's different takes and all that. Hmm. Uh, and then the final thing I wanted to mention is, remember earlier I told you to remember about the scene where Basil Rathbones finds the sulfur pit for the first time. Yes. And he says, sulfur. <laughs> then you see a shot looking into the sulfur pit. Uh-huh. If you look very closely, remember this is the beginning of the movie. Yeah. If you look very closely in the sulfur pit, is the body of the Frankenstein monster because they used a shot from the end of the movie. Oh, we'll have to look at it again. And I had gone, I don't know, 30 years without ever seeing that. And someone (laughs) found it and pointed it out. And I'm like, how do you, how did I never see this? But it's clearly there. Shut down the podcast. We're done here. Professional (laughs) my butt. Yeah. But that is Son of Frankenstein. Thank you. That was great. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I got a lot of my information from the great book of Universal Film Scripts by Philip Riley. Love those books. So that was Son of Frankenstein. Uh, We hope you enjoyed listening to us speak about this wonderful entry in the Frankenstein series. Inthea, where can the kids find us? We are on Facebook and Twitter as Pods and Monsters. We are Pods and Monsters podcast on 
Instagram. You can also see our site at podsandmonsters.com. We do have our schedule posted for the rest of the year. We should be updating soon. If you have any suggestions for 2020, please email us at podsandmonsters at gmail.com. Tweet at us, slide into those DMs on the Instagram, whatever you like, and let us know. And if you have enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to rate and write a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, It really helps us get out there. And yeah, tell your friends, share, like, subscribe. So for Pods and Monsters, my name is Robert. My name is Inthia. And we hope you enjoyed your stay in the Frankenstein village. Thank you and goodbye. 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 Goodbye, Peter. Go away! Not me!